um, is uh, spiritual persecution, and so we are not to fight back in that sense. Jesus had came for the purpose of dying. So oftentimes that passage is used again to say Christians should never defend themselves over others. And then the argument goes, Christians are supposed to follow Jesus' footsteps and never defend themselves. That Christians should be pacifists, never fight back regardless of the circumstances. And some religious groups that will um, hold to this would be Quakers, Jehovah Witnesses, um, they say it's idolatry to say the Pledge of Allegiance, and, uh, and so they talk about how it's a sin to be in the military. Um, same with the um, Mennonites. Um, and um, I was talking with a Mennonite before, and I asked him, I go, so if somebody was attacking your wife, would you do nothing? He goes, yes, I would do nothing, because we're not to fight back. We're, we're not to defend ourselves or defend our family. And so that is their mindset, their understanding that whatever comes your way, you just take it, as Jesus said, turn the other cheek. And so, and they would, it was under that it's wrong for a Christian to serve in the military. And throughout history, this is kind of an evolving issue amongst Christian groups. And that is to be expected. A Christian likely wouldn't have a clear conscience serving in Nazi Germany. Uh, and so, in that time, Christians would probably be more of a um, uh, of nations that are maybe a little bit more righteous. In nature, um, we see Christians typically did not have as much of an issue serving in the military. But um, if you're part of a very corrupt government, uh, or your government is super corrupt, um, then a lot of times some Christians throughout history did have a pacifist mentality about not being in the military. So as we look at what the scripture, scriptural context really teaches about this matter, uh, the Bible does say in Proverbs 22.1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and love and favor rather than silver and gold. And so having a good name is important, and sometimes there would be a place where that name would need to be defended. Uh, go ahead and now open your Bibles in Matthew chapter 9. And we'll see that the claim that Jesus never defended himself it's wrong. Yes, when he was being taken to be crucified, he did not open his mouth, as the Bible um, says. And that's what the Bible prophesied, that he would be as a lamb, um, dumb, as far as um, not speaking out, and that he would be crucified, and, and that he would not defend himself in that instance. The Bible prophesied that, so of course, Jesus was going to fulfill that prophecy. But we do see on many occasions, Jesus did answer his critics when it was appropriate. Sometimes he didn't, sometimes he did. Matthew 9, verse 10, it says, And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eat of your master with publicans and sinners? And so Jesus just ignored it. He says, but when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, 
They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we do see when it comes to questioning what Jesus' activities were, there were times he did give an answer, he did give a defense. Um, and we see he explained his purpose, his motivation to them. We see Paul on multiple occasions defending himself, even in the courts and um, in civilly, and when charges were brought against him. He did use their government's jurisdiction and how they operated to appeal unto Caesar, for example. Um, uh, we see in Acts 22, verse 1, uh, it says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. That they were given all kinds of false accusations against him. And so he did not just remain silent and go, Hey, if people want to believe that, then I guess let them believe it. You know, there may be a time, though, where there's a time where okay, everybody knows it's baloney. And you know you don't need to keep defending yourself over and over and over again. Um, of course, that is true, but we do see, there are times we see that Paul did say, um, you know what, when he was being charged and he said, you know, as a Roman citizen, I appeal unto Caesar. And so he did use the court systems um, to his advantage um, when he could. And Jesus did at times instruct his disciples to be ready to defend themselves if need be. Go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22 and in verse 36. It says, Then said he unto them, but now he that have a purse, let him take it, and likewise his strip. And he that have no sword, let him sell his garments and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for they thanks concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto him, It is enough. And so we saw that Jesus in foretelling what the days could be like for them, told them to arm themselves, to be ready. And perhaps that's what Peter remembered when he pulled his sword out. But Jesus did have other lessons for Peter to teach him there. But we do see that Jesus did not consider that his disciples had to be complete pacifists and unable to defend themselves and their families. He told them to arm themselves. You see that God commanded Israel to go to war at times. Exodus 15, verse 3, says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts have he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. And so there were times where God specifically <coughs> led Israel in particular to go to the battle. 
And you know, some people will question, and like they'll talk about areas where they'll say God commanded complete genocide of different cultures, and, and people will try to point that out to discredit the Bible, and yet what they don't understand is the people that God had them conquer were people that um, were very abusive, that people would offer their babies as sacrifices, um, these statues that would be burning with heat from fire, and, and, and they would just be sacrificed. They'd be a year old, and they'd be being burned up um, to death. And these are the kind of nations that, you know, God had them go and destroy. And so we do see that the worst times that God did command Israel to go to war. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, we are not currently a theocracy um, like Israel was with God leading in that sense. We do see that when Jesus returns again, um, then it will be a theocracy again. Jesus will come back and rule um, with, with, with a rod of iron. And um, he'll rule from Jerusalem in Israel. And so nowhere in Scripture does God ever call the church. It's an entity to go to war. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us, hey, you know, if one religion comes and attacks you, um, take up arms and attack them back. Nowhere does the Bible teach that. Churches do not go to war. That does not mean Christians don't go to war on behalf of their nation. That they may um, defend their nation, defend their families. This is what it starts with first. You're defending your family. And then in part, in defending your family, you need to defend your nation, um, lest it be um, conquered. And so Christians defending their homes and nation was never forbidden. But it's a church we don't go war. We don't say, hey, now we're going about church. We declare war against this nation or against the, uh, this kingdom. Jesus' command to turn the other cheek is not a caution against self-defense. He told his disciples to arm themselves. And Paul repeatedly defended himself verbally before others. In Acts 22, 1, 24, 10. Either does Jesus mean that we are simply to stand there and take a beating? For even he slipped away when the crowds tried to kill him at different times. Luke chapter 4, verse 28. Um, John 8, 59. John 10, 39. That there were times when they were trying to kill Jesus, and um, of course he wasn't returning, he wasn't attacking, that was in his mission, but he did not just sit there and let him get beat up. He went and left, and it did. Uh, and so, because um, his time was not yet for what his purpose was. Um, one person put it this way, to permit murder when one could have prevented it is morally wrong. To allow a rape when one could have hindered it is an evil. To watch an act of cruelty to children without trying to intervene is morally inexcusable. Any man who refuses to protect his wife and children against a violent intruder fails them morally. Say, I agree with that. And that scripture would also um, show that. We see them with often where he commanded men to go out, protect your wives, protect um, your children. And so to just allow evil to go on, to not put a stop to evil, 
is evil in of itself. Just in the last couple of weeks, we saw another mass shooting attempted to begin, and another man that was armed, about 50 or 75 yards away or so, and shot the guy. Killed him. Protecting many others from getting shot. And some Christians would think that man's supposed to say, oh, just let him shoot everybody. No, that's wicked. That's evil when you can't put a stop to something and you don't. That's what is evil. We do see certain military officers are mentioned respectively um, by Jesus. In Acts 10, 22, um, they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that fear of God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews. It's a military officer. And God commends him. We see Jesus in Matthew 8, verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. And so here he says, you know what? If you don't even have to come. If you just speak, my servant can be healed. Because for I am a man under authority, have soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that follow him, Verily I say to you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. There he commends this Roman soldier and says, In all the land of Israel, I have not seen such great faith as I see in you. And he just says, If you just speak, my servant can be healed. You don't see him then telling him he was in sin for being a Roman soldier or a Roman officer. So what did Jesus mean by turn the other cheek? If he didn't mean Christians were supposed to be weak, effeminate, and to be foolishly, easily taken advantage of, what did he mean? Okay, well, we do see again that he says eye for eye and two for two. And he's saying that's why you have seen this written. And there's a reason God had that written. You know, in all the other nations, or I can't say all, but in the majority of the other nations around Israel and before Israel, what would often happen is people would take revenge in their own hands, and in that revenge, they would give a punishment far greater than the crime that was committed. They said, child. Five years old, picked up something from a store. Some of the nations would have their hand cut off. What would the Bible say if someone was to steal? Okay, well, it talks about return fourfold. That you know that you know there needs to be a payment um, back. And, and, and so, um, in other nations, though, they would magnify it. That they would give a punishment far greater. Than the crime. 
And what God had to do said, no, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That, that, that the punishment should be equal to the crime committed. And so, for something of such nature, if someone did commit murder, the Bible does actually call for the death penalty. I believe it was in Genesis chapter 9. That says, if man sheds man's blood, then by man shall his blood be shed. For he is in the image of God. And so the Bible says, one, we shouldn't murder because we're in the image of God. But if someone does commit murder, that they should be put to death. And now the Bible does talk about, too, that it's not necessarily just being an individual. Um, that that um, takes care of every single thing. Um, now, in a case, you know what? If, say, someone, if people were shooting people and they were committing murder, someone took care of it. That was the right thing to do. But say, you know what? Something, the guy got away and he's gone. You know what? The, the proper thing would be a court, a trial, um, and such of that nature. So we see, so God intended for the punishment to be equal to the crime. And now what Jesus is going to deal with is against the law of revenge, of personal um, revenge, when it is simply an insult. Uh, um, Jesus was speaking not to revenge of your own hands, this goes with matters of personal retaliation, not criminal offenses or acts of military aggression, when Jesus said, turn the other cheek. It's not saying if someone commits a crime that you just turn the other cheek. Um, Jesus specifically mentioned the right cheek. So by saying to you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Why does he say the right cheek? Oh, there's a Jewish custom. I need a volunteer. Any child want to come up? Any child want to come up? Be embarrassed. Slap him? <laughs> They'll have to come find out. They want to come up? No, I wasn't going to slap anybody. What, what if I say, hey, get something out of the treasure box? How many volunteers can we get now? <laughs> no, no one. Okay. No volunteers. All right. No treasure box for a year, I guess. <laughs> oh, okay, so if someone was to smite someone, Okay, say someone was in front of me, and I, most people, 85, 90% people are right-handed, and so if someone is right-handed would punch somebody or slap somebody, they would actually be hitting their left cheek, okay? Okay, that would be something that would be more of a fight, okay? Jesus isn't saying, hey, if somebody is trying to tear you up, just sit there and die, okay? Okay, he was, and that's not what he's teaching. But he says that someone smite me on the right cheek, which would be a backslap. Okay? If you're going to hit the right cheek, it's going to be a backhanded slap. And in the Jewish culture, they consider that is an insult. Not necessarily an act of aggression. Um, it's like, we're going to fight, we're going to kill you. But it was something that they considered a double insult uh, um, that to be hit with the back of the hand rather than with the palm. And so it 
connotes an insult, not a fist fight. To strike a person on the right cheek implies giving someone the back of the hand from a right-handed person. And so it is not so much the hurt as it is the insult that is here in mind because it was a symbolic way of insulting a person's honor. Um, a cab driver, this was many years ago, um, but I'm a taxi cab driver, was um, complaining to a woman passenger that he just brought to um, where she wanted to go. And he said this, this 15 cent tip is an insult. That's the kind of thing, you know, you just would say, you know what, you turn the other cheek. You know what, move on. You got 15 cent tip, move on. Who cares? Okay? And, then, and, and so the lady asked, oh, how much should it be? How much should the tip be? And he just said, another 15 cents at least. And then she goes, my dear fellow, I wouldn't dream of insulting you twice. <laughs> In the book, Cowboy Boots um, in Darkest Africa by Bill Bryce, um, he wrote of when he went on a missions trip there, and he met a group of seven warriors. What he did not know until later was that those men had just killed a group of Dutch workers. As they approached him, the leader tried to stab Dr. Rice with his spear, um, but it caught on his skull buckle. He reacted by slapping him with the back of his hand, and then all of a sudden, the warriors immediately retreated. Just slapping them back of his hand, just a reaction um, to trying to be stabbed to death. And if come find out in their tribal culture, the way a chief rebuked a warrior was the backhand slap. And so the men apparently thought he was a great leader and left him alone because of that type of a insult that would be given back to her. And so when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he was not talking about responding to a personal injury. He wasn't ever said, he wasn't saying never defend yourself if someone tries to harm you. What he was saying is that you do not need to respond to insults. That there will be in this world, you will be insulted. And we don't need to be offended by it all. That we need to be bigger than that. We need to be stronger than that. Again, Jesus told his disciples to get swords for self-defense. We see in Exodus 22, 2, If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he died, there shall no blood be shed for him. They know if someone's breaking into someone's home and they're shot to death, or back then maybe by a sword or by some kind of tool, um, he says, you know what? If he died... In the midst of him committing a crime, there shall no blood be shed from that. The guy in his home is innocent. He wasn't expected to just turn the other cheek and let everything in his house be stored. In the United States, we have what we call the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. Just about every place that allows carrying weapons has seen a decrease in violent crimes. But you see an escalation in crime where there are bans on carrying guns. Whether it be banks or schools. You know, you see school shootings happening often. Or you see mass shootings happening where? In schools. 
Because they declare a gun-free zone, and most of the time, they have no sort of armed security at the schools. Meanwhile, Congress has all kinds of armed security there. Just this past week or so, um, the House passed a bill to ban certain guns. Now, I'm not going to be preaching the Constitution, okay? We preach the Word of God. Um, as an American, we preach the Constitution. But as far as for the pullback, preach the Word of God. I just want to illustrate that, you know, it's society. They want to take away the right to defend ourselves. And they're the ones that will try to say, that your Jesus saved from the other chief. When they don't even believe anything the Bible says, except for when they want to use it to their advantage. When they want to try to manipulate policy for them. And so here in America, there's been historically recognizing the right for people, the right to bear arms. Because they're going to be able to protect from greater evils. You know, this war that happened in Ukraine, it happened not too long after the Ukrainians gave up all their weapons, turned them in. They made it illegal to kick, um, have guns, took them up, and then all of a sudden the war ends up come, coming in place. And then all of a sudden they're begging for weapons, they're begging for AR-15s, they're um, begging for um, missiles, they're begging for all kinds of weapons, and they said, if you're a citizen here, come, and we have free guns for you, that you may be able to protect our nation. That's the part why the Second Amendment was in our country. That way, you know what? If a war did come out to happen in our country, it's not just the military that's armed, but many average homes of civilians. Now, this does not mean we always must defend ourselves when attacked. And so it's reading and pray for discernment. To know when would be an appropriate time and when would not be. A pastor, a friend of mine, mentioned in his book that he knew a pastor who went to visit him. He was doing business. I was doing some business the other day, and you know everyone was polite to me, but this time this man was hostile when a guy came and visited him, and he punched him in the face. The pastor didn't say anything. And he didn't fight back. He simply walked away. The man then bragged around town about beating up the preacher. He said, ah, oh, that preacher came to my house. He's never coming back again. I knocked him out, and he ran away like a wind. He just bragged about him all across town. And then someone came up to him and said, do you not know who that preacher is? He said, oh, I know he's the pastor. Like, no, he goes, he goes, that man is a Golden Gloves boxing champion. He could have knocked you out cold. He just chose not. That was probably the right choice for that pastor. So just because we can defend ourselves doesn't always mean it is best or wisest action in every scenario. But it is not wrong to protect yourself and others. Let him turn to 1 Peter 4.
and we shouldn't fight back when we are simply being reproached for the name of Christ. 1 Peter 4 and verse 14, it says, If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rested upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf. And so here the Bible does say, you know, don't fight back when you're being reproached for the name of Christ. When you are being persecuted for your faith in Jesus, that's not the time to fight back. You know, the Christianity that is not spread through the power of the sword. Christianity doesn't say repent or you're going to get your head cut off. It does not operate in the way Islam does, where they do go and they go and war against people, trying to force them into compliance to submitting to their religion or paying some extra high taxes. It's not what God has called Christianity to do. It's not called the church. It's the church to go and take up arms and to fight against others. Calls it a we are in a spiritual warfare, and that warfare is won by leading people to Jesus Christ. Now, when you lead people to Christ, when, when people come to faith through your witness, they are snatching them out from the kingdom of Satan, and made and they become redeemed of the Lord. And so, when we are reproached for the name of Christ, when we are insulted. You know, I'm Joanne, if you're in school and people make fun of you as a Christian, you don't need to make fun of them back. You don't need to mock them. You just take them. The Bible says, happy are you. They know you take the reproaches of Christ gladly. That you count it a joy that you're able to suffer as a Christian. It is often right to correct false statements made by those who verbally attack. If someone falsely attacks your moral character, there may be times to ignore it, and there may be times when it is expedient for you to speak up. Okay, if somebody is accusing you of being abusive of a child, because they maybe heard that you spanked your child, you know, you may need to speak up and say, hey, no, hold on a minute. And this way, maybe even giving them the Washington um, RCW that allows for moderate corporal discipline. But so there may be a time that you defend yourselves verbally in those kinds of matters. You don't need anybody, you don't need to attack them when you correct them. When the Pharisees questioned Jesus' character, he at times would correct their false statements and explain his motives. But he did not attack them with revenge. You see, they often did take times where he exposed them and called them out. And called them vipers. Called them out when they're leading people too full to hell um, by, their re by their religion. <clears throat> but again, I mentioned this verse, I think it might just been last week. Where the proverb says, <clears throat> Answer not a fool. 
according to his calling, lest thou be also like unto him. Answer full according to his calling, lest he be wise in his own conceit. It's one verse right there. It's not a contradiction. It's having discernment to know when is the right time to answer and when is not. Facts are a powerful excuse me. Facts are a powerful response to falsehoods to people who care about the truth. But some people do not, and answering them is often unproductive. When something's more emotionally charged instead of intellectually, it's really not the way the time to respond. It is wrong to fight back out of a heart of revenge. Your purpose is to correct false statements, to protect your good name, is proper to respond. If your purpose is to seek revenge against someone who said something about you, then that is wrong. And you know, it's restraint for someone to be a godly pastor in that regard. You know the attacks that sometimes pastors face? Vicious attacks. Verbal told something just a couple of weeks ago that was said that I said something from the pulpit that I never said from the pulpit, never said in private, but it was being spread like I did. So I talked to that person and said, hey, you know, I have never said any such sort, and it's so inappropriate. I'm not going to mention it here from the pulpit. There are times where, you know, people attack you, but, you know, it's say people have been coming for a while, and the pastor just did not know you. I know a lot of dirt about the person. But it would be wrong for me to, in revenge, to want to hear everything out about this person just because they were hearing things about me that were untrue. Now, I did factually go, hey, no, this isn't true. This is what happened. People could investigate it and such, but we should not do things out of revenge. That's where the Bible says, vengeance belongs unto the Lord. You let God take care of it. The Bible does talk about when we take revenge in our own hand, that God will sometimes lift away his punishment on that person, and then it's going to be more on you. So don't fight back out of a heart of revenge. And it's not considered revenge if you see a man beating your wife and you get in there and beat him up, okay? That's protecting your family. That's um, doing what you need to do. If I was just in Romans 12, 19, Dear beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So, so again, there's nothing wrong with protecting your family, protecting your nation. It's the right thing to do. Um, there's nothing wrong with protecting your reputation against wrong attacks, false attacks. But we must have the discernment and the power of restraint to not react to insults. Someone insults you, don't respond back. Everybody, you know, say it's in your marriage and one of your spouse says insult about you. You know, turn the other cheek. You'll feel guilty much quicker if you turn the other cheek than if you insult them back. Trust me, it's true. It might have happened one time in our marriage or so. Uh, when you're mocked, 
ridiculed, made fun of, taken in silence. Don't let it get to you. Don't let it get under your skin. Don't let it get you enraged. Promise that we often get more worried about being insulted than we even do about getting injured. There's a story of a man, I'm not here, but uh, um, somewhere else. Uh, we did a lot of work on a church's building. The pastor expressed Thanksgiving from the pulpit and started naming some of the names, said, hey, you know, thank you for this, I appreciate you, um, and it just kind of given the appreciation. But the pastor forgot to mention somebody. And it was somebody that was really heavily involved. Um, in the building. That's the nature of the pastor in statement. Someone might be forgotten. But um, the, the guy's name didn't get mentioned uh, when the pastor was expressing appreciation. The man had the attitude of, that's it. I did most of the work and put in all the time. He doesn't appreciate what I did. I'll never go back to his church again. He was an injured was simply felt insulted. And it wasn't even an intentional insult. That kind of stuff, not, not let it get to us. It is Christ-like to be willing to be insulted or to suffer wrongfully to maintain a good testimony. People often lose their testimony when they get angry when they are falsely attacked. But you'll gain your testimony when you're falsely attacked and you respond properly. You respond with humility. Sometimes people will defend themselves so tenaciously about trivial matters. You, know, you sometimes see this in children. They'll be fighting about the dumbest of things. And it's like, why does it matter? Why does it matter? You pulled a cereal box out first when they weren't supposed to get into it. Who cares if it was you or them? You know, sometimes we as adults can act like that. So upset something happened. Maybe something happened at work. You didn't get recognized at work and someone else did. And we get insulted. Turn the energy. Don't let it bother you. People are often innocent. But they blow their credibility by their temper. And so be on guard against anger. When you respond in anger, you lose credibility, even if you were innocent. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks of you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed to falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evildoing. So he goes, if people are going to falsely accuse you, okay? You take it. Doesn't mean you don't give out the facts. But take it humbly. Don't, don't respond in time. You suffer for well doing, then let it be so. He says, Don't suffer for evil doing. Now, if they're falsely accusing you of evil doing, that's one thing. But he said, as it was said elsewhere, 
let none of you suffer as a murderer, is a, is a thief. You know, let that not be a testimony that could be attached to. Romans 12, 21 says, Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So don't let yourself be overcome with evil. And, and you become overcome with evil by trying to overcome good with evil. So overcome evil with good. Do right. Be a testimony of Christ. Yes, we do want to walk, it's he walk, and to know when we are just to be quiet. And when there may be, it needs to be clarification. Be a witness of the gospel about how Jesus died and was buried and rose again to save us from our sins. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, I just thank you, Lord, for being over here today. And I just pray, Lord, that you um, would we would leave this as a challenge, Lord, that we are merely in song. And we don't need to respond in kind. May you call us not to. But you've also called us as men to be protectors of our family. And if the nations is broke, righteous, they know that you stand for your country. You just understand that you know in many times, many places, it'd be a place where you would not want to serve as such. Or in different situations, we just pray, Lord, that you would give Christians a discernment to know how and when to.